almighty and all-living God. You came to be with us in Jesus Christ. And yet, we responded by pushing you out of this world. We put you on a cross, and we put you in a tomb, and we thought, surely that was enough. But you have overcome that. You have overcome the grave. You have overcome death. And there is nothing that can stand between you and us. There is nothing that can keep your love and your grace from getting to us. God, we thank you so much. We rejoice so greatly because your love overcomes the grave. Your love overcomes our sin. Your love overcomes everything that we try and put in the way of it. We are overwhelmed by your love. We are overwhelmed by your grace. We are overwhelmed by your power. And so we come here. We come here this day to hear again that old story. But as we've gathered here this day, we know that you've already spoken to us. So make this story new again for us. Make this story hit a part of our lives that it hasn't hit before. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that word that you have for us today. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Once again, good morning and welcome to Spirit and Life. We are delighted that you are here with us today. We are delighted to be here today. We are delighted to celebrate Easter. As we start off this morning, I want to try something. I'm going to say Christ is risen, and when I do, I want you to respond, he is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. All right, perfect, perfect. Now I want to add something to that. We'll do that again, but after that, I'm going to say alleluia, and I want you to respond with an alleluia of your own. Let's try it. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen, amen. Now, for some of you that might have felt weird, that's okay. We don't normally do call and response stuff here, which if it's your first time here, we won't do that again next week, I promise. Fear not. But for some of you, that might have felt like a normal part of Easter worship, but it's a bit strange to do it in a high school auditorium. Um, Now, for some of you, that might have felt completely natural. What I want to name right at the beginning is that we come here today with different levels of comfort. Or put a different way, we come here today and all of us feel a different level of weird. And that's okay. Some of us are here today to celebrate the Easter good news, the Easter gospel, that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, has been raised from the dead. But I imagine there are also some of us who are here for different reasons. Some of us might have been dragged here by our parents, and we'd rather be sleeping. Some of us are here, and this service and my sermon are the only thing standing in the way of you getting to Easter brunch, and that's the real highlight of the day. Some of you are here out of obligation, either family obligation or because coming to church on Easter seems like the right thing to do. Some of you are here today because we have a free Easter egg hunt for your kids. Whatever brought you here, we are all here today, and we are going to tell a strange story about a dead man coming back to life, which is in itself weird. So if you're not sure what you're doing here, that's okay. 
We are happy that you are here nonetheless. And whatever our feelings about being here this morning, we can be sure that we feel a whole lot better than the followers of Jesus felt that first Easter morning. Scripture tells us that the disciples spent the first Easter this way. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. The disciples gathered together that first Easter day, but they didn't gather in celebration or in sing song or in rejoicing. They gathered in failure. Their Messiah was dead. Their movement had failed. They had spent the last three years devoting their lives to following this man, Jesus, who claimed to be and who they thought was the Messiah of Israel. They believed that he would be the one to defeat the Romans, free Israel, and reestablish the kingdom of David. They gathered in failure. And they gathered in fear. The Romans and religious elites were almost certainly going to come to find and kill them. A few days earlier, when Jesus was standing trial, a group of people came to Peter, one of Jesus' followers, and asked him if he was one of the people who followed Jesus. Peter denied it, denied following Jesus, denied being a part of that group. I have to believe it's because Peter thought they were going to do the same thing to him that they were about to do to Jesus. Jesus was executed by the Romans by means of crucifixion, which was a method of punishment used for insurrectionists. And the disciples were part of that same movement. They were huddled together, fearing that it was only a matter of time before the Romans and religious elites that killed Jesus found them too. They gathered in failure and in fear. And they also gathered in grief, for their friend and mentor had died. This man that had been their teacher, this man that had believed in them, this man that had cared for them and been their best friend and mentor for three years was dead. They were lost. They were devastated. Many of us in this room knows what it is like to lose a loved one. On the first Easter, the disciples were dealing with their grief of having lost. The disciples gathered on that first Easter in fear, in failure, and in grief. There were others who loved Jesus who were doing something else the first Easter Sunday. There were women who had followed Jesus, who had loved Jesus, who had been healed by Jesus, and were also devastated by his death. This is what they were doing on that first Easter morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. The women gathered together that first Easter. They gathered and they went to the tomb. They too went in grief. Their friend had died. They were experiencing the same loss as the disciples, the same loss of a friend and a mentor. They were experiencing the same grief. They went to do their duty. Someone had to embalm the body to prepare it for a proper burial. Jesus died on a Friday and was taken down from the cross right before sundown. But from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the women couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't go to see the body. They couldn't do their duty of embalming because it was the Sabbath. So they set out the first moment they can to do their duty. But I imagine that they walked there in resignation. They were resigned to the fate that awaited them. They were going to the tomb to prepare a body for burial, the body of their friend and their leader. In my mind, I see the women walking to the tomb in grief-filled resignation to the reality of a situation, 
a sense of obligation, the only thing that gives them the strength to put one foot in front of the other. It's strange how different the disciples and the women celebrated that first Easter to how we celebrate Easter this morning. And yet, on the other hand, it makes a lot of sense. Because while we know what's about to happen, the disciples and the women were living in a world, in a reality, that is all too familiar to us. We can understand how the disciples and the women were feeling because we understand death. We understand what it is to lose. We understand fear and resignation. We understand what it is to have duties and obligation in the midst of immense sadness and grief. What we don't understand is what happens next in our story. The women found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The women were expecting to find the, the dead body of Jesus. What they found was a new world. They found an empty tomb and angels saying that Jesus had risen. And then all those things that Jesus said to them, all those promises Jesus made to them came back, and they believed. And what do you do with news so great, so amazing, so astounding? You tell people. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The women came back to tell the, the disciples this amazing thing that had happened. They came to tell the disciples that they didn't need to be afraid, that they didn't need to grieve, that they hadn't failed. Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And in one of the most human moments of, in all the Bible, when the disciples are presented with this earth-shattering, world-changing news, they don't believe it. Because we know what death is. We haven't a clue what resurrection is. But Peter goes to see for himself. Peter, probably wanting to prove the women wrong, goes to the tomb. He'll see the body, or he'll see evidence that somebody has stolen the body. He'll see something that the women have missed that will make all of this make sense. But he doesn't. He doesn't get the evidence he needs. He wonders. Sorry. I'd say that was for dramatic pause, but I just needed a drink. Now, for some of you, this story sounds unbelievable. For some of you, this so story sounds pie-in-the-sky, pre-modern mythology. There must be some reasonable or logical explanation for what happened. There must be some proof. If that's you, all I can say is this. Those disciples, the ones that spent the first Easter gathered in fear, in failure, and in grief, who heard what the woman had to say and dismissed it, 
had some sort of experience that changed them and transformed them. Because all of them, to a man, emerged from that room, from the fear and failure and grief, and committed their lives to spreading the gospel that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, had been raised from the dead. They committed their lives to spreading that message to the ends of the earth, and they were killed for spreading that message. They spent that first Easter believing their movement had failed, yet they spent the rest of their lives declaring its success. They spent that first Easter fearing the Romans would kill them too, yet they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming a message that did in fact get them killed the same way that Jesus was killed. They spent that first Easter morning grieving the death of their friend and mentor and leader, yet they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming that Jesus was alive. And they were able to do this because the story of Easter, the story of resurrection, is not just about Jesus. The resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead was not and is not just for Jesus. The women and the disciples sensed that this resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead was for them too. The power of God, the presence of God that can overturn even death itself could be theirs too. And they went out in that power and boldly spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. If you need proof of resurrection... Look no further than the disciples and the women. Well, that's great, Pastor Matt, that this event meant so much to the the disciples that they committed their lives to it. But why should I commit my life to it? What difference does this make to me? I'm so glad you asked. We have already talked about how similar the disciples and the women's attitude was to ours when it comes to death and resurrection. Their setting is our setting. They woke up that first Easter believing that death had the last word, that death has the ultimate sway over this world, and that evil can and does triumph. They woke up the way we often wake up. We wake up into a world where death reigns supreme. We wake up in a world where injustice is a regular part of daily living. We know what it means to experience death. We know what it means to grieve. We know what it means to go through the motions in hopeless resignation. We know what it means to live in fear. We know what it means to fail. We know these things. And we know what it is to live in a world where these things rule over our thoughts and rule over our actions. On the first Easter, the disciples were surprised. The disciples and the women were surprised. Possibilities that were unimaginable suddenly were possible. Things that couldn't happen suddenly could. They were surprised to discover that they live in a wholly different world. And experiencing that new world, experiencing those new possibilities, experiencing that first Easter changed them, changed the disciples, changed the women. They became new people. They became Easter people. And they committed their lives to spreading the message and creating new Easter people all throughout the world. And Easter people are a different sort of people. The disciples feared. Easter people have joy. The world would have us always worry about having enough. The world would have us scared that we don't have enough money, don't have enough love, don't have enough food. The world would tell us that we ought to live in fear for our lives, for our safety, for our loved ones. But Easter people have joy. Easter people know that through the resurrection, our God is for us. And Easter people believe that if our God is for us, Nothing can be against us. So we cling to the cross of Christ 
and have joy. The disciples thought they failed. Easter people have victory. The world will try to tell you that you are a failure unless you have a bigger house or a bigger car or a bigger bank account. The world will try to tell you you're a failure if you don't have this job or live in that neighborhood. The world will, will try to tell you you're a failure if you don't look like this or if you aren't good at the right things. The world will tell you you're a failure in commercials and magazines and on social media. But Easter people know that success is not determined by the size of your house or your car or your bank account, but by the living God who loves you and names you and claims you and calls you to himself. Easter people that we know that we have victory and we have success because God in Jesus Christ knows us and we are his. The disciples and the women grieved. Easter people have hope. The world would have us believe that death has the final word. The world would have us believe that those who are, go who, who are gone are lost and that there is nothing for us here but grief and sadness and oblivion. The world would have us believe that this is all there is. So do as much as you can and get as much as you can and look out for number one. But Easter people know that Jesus Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. That in God's house there are many rooms. That those who have died are standing around the throne of God singing glory to the Lamb. Easter people have hope for our friends and family who have died that they are now alive in Christ. And Easter people have hope that one day we too will join them around the throne and live forever with our God. And the joy and the victory and the hope aren't just for the disciples or for the women or for those that saw the resurrected Christ. They're for us too. Because that resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and empowered the disciples didn't stop there. That power keeps emanating throughout the world. It spread with the disciples' teaching and people continue to be caught up in that power, in that glory, in that grace, even here and now. The resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and inspired and empowered the disciples to spread the gospel continues to create Easter people here and now. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, empowered the disciples to spread the gospel, and has created Easter people for centuries is here, now, in this place. And God, using that resurrection power, wants to change you, to transform you, to give you new life in Jesus Christ. Will you accept it? Will you open your arms and your hearts and embrace the risen Christ? Will you let God transform you and make you an Easter person? This one is for dramatic effect. But that's not all. We are here today. You are here today. But there are hundreds of thousands of people in this county who are not in church today. They don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They aren't Easter people. The resurrection power of God hasn't reached them yet. We can't show them a living body. We can't show them another person who is dead that has come back to life. We can't show them any physical evidence of the resurrection. But what we can show them, what we can give for them, the proof we have for them is the same proof that has been used to transform lives and change the world for centuries. The proof we have for them is ordinary people whose lives have been caught up in the resurrection power of God. The proof we have for them is our Easter people. The proof we have for them is you. 
Will you go? Will you leave here so on fire, so committed, so full of faith, that you will be the proof of resurrection to them? Will you embody life in the midst of death, hope in the midst of fear, joy in the midst of grief to a world that is so convinced that this is impossible? Can you show them that there are other possibilities? Can you show them another world? Can you show them another way of life? Can you commit your life to the new world that the resurrection of Jesus Christ opens our eyes to? Can you leave here today to be Easter people in the midst of a doubting and hurting world? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hundreds of thousands of people in this county don't believe that and are in search of proof. Go. Be their proof. Go. Be Easter people. Let us pray. Almighty and all loving God, you, you have called to us. You are calling to us. You are reaching out to us with that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same power that transformed the disciples and empowered their teaching, that same power that has created ordinary saints in the church throughout history. We want to say yes. We want to be transformed by this power. We want to be caught up in the resurrection, new life of Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to you, God. And lead us from this place on fire, committed to be Easter people in the midst of a hurting world. In the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.